In Scotland, when friends get together, they blether. When these three friends happen to be Scottish Blue Badge tourist guides, you can be sure that the country that they're so passionate about will be right at the heart of their discussions. Be it contemporary or historical, culinary or cultural, reminiscence or anecdote, from accommodation to zoos, the chat will range right across the entire alphabet of topics and issues that are live and happening in Scotland right now. We hope that you'll join us. There's nothing to beat a recht git blether. Welcome to episode eight of Scottish Blethers with Liz Lister, tongue twister, Helen, and Susan. Coming up in the next 30 minutes or so, we're going to explore the following themes. Today, my blether is going to be about mother's ruin, good old Scottish gin. And I'm going to blether about Glencoe. Fantastic. And then I'm going to tell you a little bit about Scotland and film. And we're going to finish our episode with each of our favourite Scottish words of the episode. Over to you, Liz. Thank you, Susan. Well, I don't know, ladies, what your favourite tipple is, but I think when most people think of Scotland, they think of whisky. So it might come as a bit of surprise to learn that a recent poll across the UK didn't put whisky at the top. It didn't even put vodka at the top. The favoured drink in the UK is now gin. And Scotland is responsible for producing 70% of that gin. And so you might say that we're undergoing a little bit of what's called a genesance. At the <laughs> oh, <moment>. Very good. <laughs> yeah. And um, it comes from two different sources. First of all, the world's best-selling gins, your things like Hendrix and Gordon's and Tankery, they are largely produced in Scotland. So that's the, the biggest selling brands. Gordon's, for example, is produced in Fife. But the Genesongs is something quite different. The Genesongs is coming from craft gins, from small batch. So we've seen an absolute explosion in the number of gin distilleries in Scotland. We're now up to over 100 gin distilleries. And when you take all the brands that they produce across the, the distillery, we're over 400, what they call gin expressions. So it literally has been an explosion. And the income to the economy is now standing at about £3 billion. And it's estimated that over the next few years, we might even exceed the five billion that whiskey brings in. So what is it about Scottish gin? You're trying to market this brand of Scottish gin. Well, first of all, what is gin? Well, it's basically a spirit, which is then in turn flavoured with what we call botanicals. Now to be a gin, the basic botanical is called juniper. And people think of it as a berry, but in fact, it's actually a seed. And it's one of our three native conifers in Scotland. So we've got the juniper, which is the basis of it. But all over Scotland, we have this rich larder of botanicals. Doesn't matter whether it's berries like rowan berry or whether it's seaweed. Many, many things that we can use to flavour the gin. 
And that's what's given rise to this explosion. We've got some of the, what's reckoned to be some of the best food and drink products. So we already have this tradition of high quality associated with our food and drink. We've got the technical skills coming from the whiskey production. You could say that whiskey production is in the genes of the Scots. And then we have our good quality Scottish water with over 25,000 lochs. We have plenty of water going on in Scotland. And so people have cottoned on to the idea of hanging their small batch gin on some kind of handle for marketing purposes. It could be something to do with the local scenery, the folklore, legends, just something that will give them this marketing handle. And we've got some quite classic gins coming onto the market now. Things like Eden Company's gin in St Andrews, they have tied it up with golf. So they use hickory wood shavings, um, which are associated <laughs> with the hickory clubs that were once produced in St Andrews. We have Harris Gin, where they've gone down the line of Yum. a beautiful crafted bottle, which is supposed to resemble the waves lapping the shores of Harris, with little imperfections, which are supposed to signify the harsh life on an island community of the Outer Hebrides. So they're all capturing this spirit, as you could say, of Scotland in their Scottish gin. So it's gone through a renaissance. For a while there, it was considered an old fuddy-duddy drink. People in golf clubs had it with ice and a slice. Nowadays, it's not just the gin. You've got artisan tonics. The Harris Gin Company produced tinctures by an apothecary on the island so that they can have that along with their gin, flavouring the gin, making it into cocktails or whatever. So everybody's trying to get in on the act. So ladies, how do you like your gin served? Well, hold on. Let me just open up my drinks cabinet and see what we've got. <laughs> Don't tell me. Yeah. I've got a McQueen Black Cherry Gin, Gordon's Gin, Crofter's Tears Highland Gin, a Seville Citrus Gin, some good old tankery, Unfortunately, the Harris Gin bottle is empty. It always oh. is, Susan, usually sitting yes. as a lampshade. I've got them all over the house. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she, it used to be Dimple Whiskey that you made your lamp out of. No, it's Harris Gin now. That's my favourite. That and, and the Botanist. The Botanist mm. has 22 botanicals in it, and I love it. It's, that's one of my favourites. The, the Harris and the Botanist. I have to say that I like to think that anything I take has got to have some medicinal purpose. Mm. So rhubarb gin <laughs> is very good because, of course, rhubarb was discovered to have this wonderful sort of purging effect on people. <laughs> so in Scotland, everybody has a rhubarb plant in their garden and we like our rhubarb. So rhubarb gin, I could drink all day long because I think it's medicinal. Helen, you have just given me an image I do not need. <laughs> and you've put me off rhubarb. I've just planted some rhubarb in the garden, not knowing that that was the effect. Oh, you find out about John Hope and the Botanic Gardens and you'll oh. know all about rhubarb. Oh, my goodness. I think that's one to avoid. And I, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, Helen, whenever did you need a, an excuse to have a gin? <laughs> Well, that's like, no, or otherwise. I, I had an interesting experience with tankery gin many, many years ago. And that when you only had the, these kind of three main ones that you talked about, Liz, uh -huh. and that kind of put the tin lid on gin for a little bit until the introduction of these botanicals, which really has opened my eyes and my flavour buds once again. Well, if you need another excuse, Helen, if you go for Dundee Gin's company's gin, oh, um, right. if you want to get your vitamin C up high, 
they flavour theirs with Dundee orange marmalade. Oh, good, it must Dundee be marmalade. Yeah. yeah, so they've got the vitamin C in there, in yeah. the carbohydrates. So there's another excuse oh. for another little tipple. Mm. Who needs to go out to dinner, just go out for a gin? Exactly. Well, there's a local gin as well in Pitlochry that was founded only a few years ago by Helen Stewart. It's called Badvo. And what she does is she forages for the botanicals every year or, you know, regularly that she puts into her small batch gin. And she includes juniper, nettles, wild mint, honeysuckle, meadowsweet. So it's quite interesting that, you know, it's not just about people that have a lot more money behind them. Yes, you need to have some money behind you to buy the, the machinery. And she actually crowdfunded to pull all the the stuff together that she needs to do it but she started at 22 years old that's got to be pretty impressive that's clever yes absolutely yeah i suppose the question for the future is is it sustainable because everybody's getting into gin production one of the reasons is that it's very easy to do you just need spirit just basic spirit the same stuff that goes into the whiskey barrels to make the whiskey and then you flavor it and it's very fast so the turnaround is much faster than whiskey which has got to lie sleeping for three years so lots of the new whiskey distilleries are bringing it in as an immediate way of generating income yeah yes because this is start the process in the morning and have it on the shelves for sale in the evening exactly it's fabulous and you know if you're interested in your gin well visit scotland has a scottish gin trail map with all these bottles all over the country and you put together your own gin trail going from gin distillery to gin distillery however to be consumed responsibly and do not drive after you've had a gin well well done susan (laughs) and just to end on 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 just a little note there i was talking about the apothecary on the island of harris flavoring the harris gin and she's very much about capturing a seasonal summer moment in time and her quote for this tincture which is called new wild gorse tincture is that i spent a lot of time musing on what was needed from this tincture at this unusual time. There's been so much fear and heartbreak in recent months, so I decided to look at plants which have a long history of protection and strength. Gorse is to believe to be a bringer of joy and light with a particular affinity for uplifting the heart. So we even have a Covid gin. Unless that gorse is in your garden. I have a constant fight with it. (laughs) Maybe I should make it into gin then. That's obviously the way to go. That's it. Bring purity and light. So, sorry, I'm I'm dwelling on my gin where I should be (laughs) passing over. That's something I do like to dwell on. So I'm going to hand over now to Helen. Well, thank you, Liz. I'm going to talk about Glencoe and probably the only connection with gin at the moment is it begins with G. Glencoe is perhaps Scotland's most scenic and most famous glen. But what is a glen? The definition of a glen is a narrow and deep mountain valley and especially used in Scotland. Bucoletive Moor, the great shepherd of Glenetive, guards the entrance to Glencoe. This is an ancient highland landscape formed by supervolcano hundreds of millions of years ago, then sculpted by the massive glaciers in the last ice age. The pass of Glencoe is surrounded by towering mountains the soaring cliffs of the Three Sisters, home to the mythical Ossian's Cave and Signal Rock. Signal Rock, where the legend has it that the sign was given for the Redcoat soldiers to begin the infamous massacre in February 1692 at the start of the Jacobite uprisings. Glencoe still has the power to still an emotional response 
to the massacre of Glencoe. One of the Glen's great secrets is the Lost Valley, where the local clan MacDonald hid the cattle they rustled from their neighbours, especially the clan Campbell. The often Arctic weather makes the area a hotspot for climbers and skiers today. In the 1950s, climber Hamish McInnes made many daring first ascents in Glencoe, including winter climbs on Buchelet of Moor. He went on to found the Glencoe Mountain Rescue Team in 1961. He also designed the first all-metal ice axe and later the pterodactyl, which revolutionised safety on the steep ice climbs. Another famous climber in Glencoe was Sir Hugh Munro, who in 1891 surveyed and catalogued all 282 mountains over 3,000 feet, now known as Munro's. And Munro bagging is a great sport today. Glencoe's ski area is the oldest ski area in Britain, with the country's first ski toe being installed in 1955, making Glencoe the first commercial ski area in Scotland. Today, there are 20 runs and 8 lifts catering for all levels of skill. Glencoe Mountain Resort is open all year round and summer activities include mountain biking, hiking and climbing. The Inochiach is a rocky ridge lying to the north side of Glencoe. Full ridge is 10 kilometres long, but the central section of 2 kilometres requires scrambling skills to traverse it and is normally tackled in an east-west direction. It is so narrow, it is one way. The Devil's Staircase crosses the range and is part of the West Highland Way. Soldiers in the mid-18th century named it because of the difficulty of carrying their building materials up that stretch of road. It was the route taken by troops providing reinforcements for the aforementioned Massacre of Glencoe. The Three Sisters are the dramatic peaks on the south side of the Glen and are a favourite stopping point to appreciate the drama and majesty of the Glen. The National Trust for Scotland has cared for the Glen since 1935. So that is Glencoe. I'm sure that Liz and Susan have got something, memories of Glencoe or experience that they would like to recount. Uh, my my impression of it when I think of Glencoe is the effect it has on tour members when I take mm. them through it. You know, for they've seen so many castles, they've seen so many so much beautiful scenery. You know, that by this the stage in the tour it takes a lot to impress them and they're thinking, oh, it's just another glen. And then as you go through it and you have, I usually play atmospheric music um, as you're driving through it, it just has such an impact that so many of them go back thinking that that's been the highlight of their tour. Yeah, it's got a certain majesty and drama, hasn't it, that is Definitely. not found in many other places. I love going to Glencoe. I mean, it is just so pretty. It doesn't matter what the weather's doing because... In any weather, it's just stunning. And then the little ladies mountaineering, you know, the, the white cottage at the base of Glencoe uh -huh. Mountain Resort, oh, yes. always very Definitely. photographic. But it's so much better when it rains because then the valley literally weeps when you've got all this water cascading off down the waterfalls. And you get the different layers of light. I quite like going to Glencoe Mountain Resort and taking my guests up on the chairlift. They just do an up and down yeah, on the chairlift. Yes. You don't actually get off. Yes. But you get the views and it's just incredible. I particularly like doing it when it's pouring rain because then they get a free derma abrasion <laughs> in the process as well. <laughs> okay, I haven't been quite yes. that brave yet to take them up out in the rain. Oh, you know. uh, yeah, no, no. My tours are, are truly, you know, at the limit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
But what I like about Glencoe as well is, well, obviously it's steeped in history, but I've climbed up Curved Ridge, which is on the Bucolette of Moor, uh, kind of at the mm-hmm. entrance to Glencoe. And as you're climbing up it, you know, you, you'll pause. So, And then you stop and you sit in a ledge looking straight down and straight out along the vast expanse that leads into Glencoe, right across Rannoch Moor. And it's mm. just immense. It's incredible. It is. Particularly out of season now because it is so busy at, yeah. at, the, at peak season. But even then, if you go down, and Helen, I'm sure you've got a story to tell about this one, but if you go down <laughs> um, off the main road, which is absolutely heaving with mm. people at peak season, just scramble down the, the side onto the path through the valley and suddenly everything becomes still. You lose the noise, you get the atmosphere. Well, my, my story of that scramble, Liz has mentioned that you have to scramble with care and scrambling is not a, not necessarily a thing to do, a great fun thing to do. I had one lady who went for a scramble down but ended up in uh, in Ragmore Hospital with a broken leg. Oh, my. Um, but it was fine. She was fine. And the good thing was that the Glencoe Mountain Rescue came and took her by stretcher off there and the ambulance came along. It was very good just to see everything working at the one time. Helen goes goes to such (laughs) lengths to provide that ultimate experience for her guests. Absolutely. Oh, heavens. But we must remember that Glencoe is a dangerous place. It is. Um, That it's not a place that you go just in your trainers and shorts and T-shirt. If you're going for a walk, even if it's a beautiful day, you wear your, your proper equipment. I mentioned Hamish McInnes. McInnes. Some of you may not know the name, but you will know um, the the film The Iger Sanction. Well, he was the mountaineering consultant on that for Clint Eastwood. Oh, wow. Scots get everywhere. Exactly. But we shouldn't forget to mention that the Glencoe Visitor Centre has had a major upgrade as well. I actually preferred it in the old days where you used to sit on wooden trestles watching this this, um, grainy old video by one of our most uh, foremost historians, Fiona Watson, telling the story. But it it has been upgraded and so well worth a visit. Oh, and the views from just outside the Visitor Centre up the Glen are are lovely as well. A great place for selfies as well for anybody that's interested in getting that. Instagram moment and there's some fantastic YouTubes of people driving through the Glen as well you know in the morning Mm -hmm. sunset so if you google it get the the majesty of the valley I remember one of the most fantastic times we drove through the Glen it was the rain was just coming down the wind was at its height but the water was falling off the top of the mountains. The wind was sending it straight back up. It was stunning. I think we're going to have to put some of our photos of Glencoe and the very many different weathers onto our social media um, to give people a bit of a feel for it. Or if anybody's going through it, feel free to tag us in a video that you've done going through Glencoe. And of course, there's also the little village itself of Glencoe, which has got an interesting little museum. They have memorial events to commemorate those that lost their lives in the, the massacre. So it's worth a visit as well. And of course, not not to say that Scots are like elephants and have long memories, but, you know, the Clachig Inn, which is in Glencoe, favourite <laughs> of hikers and everything else, above the door. No hawkers, no dogs <laughs> and no camels. Exactly. Yeah. And they don't mean Campbell's suit. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, don't, we don't bear yeah. a grudge, honest. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> On that note, which is quite topical, let's just pull Glencoe to a close, but without mentioning the fact that it has also been used as a film location for many films, films such as Harry Potter and Skyfall. And on that note, Susan, I think you're going to tell us a wee bit about Scotland on film. Yes. Ah, oh, well, leading into that, you know, we're talking about the films it's been used for, but whenever I'm with a group going into Glencoe, I always like to get them into the mood. So I play some music for them just to kind of bring them down and get them into storytelling mode. And the tune that I play is called The Gale, North by Northwest. But some people might know it better as the theme tune from Last of the Mohicans. And it's by a great Scottish composer, singer-songwriter called Doogie MacLean. Oh, Susan, can I just break in there about Doogie MacLean? Well, Doogie MacLean comes from Dunkeld. And I was in Dunkeld with a group of visitors having the lunch in a beautiful little deli in Dunkeld. And one of the ladies said to me, oh, that's Doogie MacLean that's just come in, but it can't be. I said, well, he lives in Dunkeld. Maybe it is. And I turned around and saw this chap with kind of dishevelled long hair, a very He's kind love of you well-worn, that. I, I know, <laughs> well-worn high-vis vest. And she said, oh, she said, I go to all his concerts when he's in America. I said, well, go and say hello. So she went up and all Doogie could say was, she said, can I have a photograph? And he said, yes, but I've just come out. I haven't even brushed my hair. <laughs> and But she, he was just lovely. And she said he was just such a lovely person. So you never know who you'll bump into when touring around Scotland. And how down to earth everybody is in Scotland. Oh, totally. Yes. And the other one you might bump into, actually, Gerard Butler. Originally from the Paisley area down near Glasgow. And he holidays regularly in Scotland. And he was actually spotted in Dunkeld as well. So anyhow, Scotland on film. Well, in a 2015 online poll by USA Today, Scotland was voted the world's best cinematic destination. It's really easy to see why. Okay, I'm going to tell you about some films that are admittedly before my time but coming up to some more modern ones <laughs> you'll remember them well, well you might well just rubbing do. it in there susan <laughs> the 39 steps yeah i remember whiskey galore the original one or even the remake um yeah, duncan mccree oh goodness yeah. i don't even know that name uh ring of bright water <laughs> gavin maxwell's books uh, I, Virginia McKenna. Yeah, I remember yeah. watching them when I was a kid. Local Hero with Burt Lancaster. Yeah, the music for that was very good. Well, exactly. Yeah. Well, but they still have the telephone box and pen and yes, uh huh. That, that so they 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 didn't let the GPO take it away. I was they I was said, there no, in no, February. <laughs> yeah, the Wicker Man down in the southwest of Scotland. I've never seen the Wicker Man, but it's one I must I must yes. get around to. Exactly. Again, that kind of era, the local hero kind of era. What's that about seventies? Yeah, kidnapped. With my yeah. name is Michael Kane playing Scott, which is <laughs> oh, always funny. <laughs> Thank you. Um, the Prime of Miss Jean Brodie in Edinburgh. Oh, Chariots yes, of Fire, yes. St Andrews. Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey. One that, well, Dune Castle near Stirling. Yeah. Yes. Now, two films that are a film and a series people are going to know it for. Monty Python and the Holy Grail. They. Yeah often keep coconut shells in the visitor centre there so people can take the coconut shells and go around the castle redoing the Monty Python thing. And also Outlander, <laughs> obviously, Dune Castle's Castle Leach. 
You've got Stardust, Cloud Atlas, Train Spotting 1 and 2, Ewan McGregor. What a, an actor that is. And many oh, others yes. that are in there as well. Shallow Grave, filmed in Glasgow. Restless Natives, that's a 1980s tongue-in-cheek Scottish film, if ever there was I loved. I love yep. that film. I Another love that great film. Scottish film, Gregory's Girl. Yeah, yes, if we want to go a bit more yes. into the international blockbusters, Entrapment, Aileen Don and Castle. Yeah, oh, I yes. think part of that was also filmed on Mull yes. as well. Um, at, yes, uh, it was. What's the castle? The yes. Duart Castle. The, yeah. Some of the internal scenes of that were yep. at Duart Castle because I remember the story which the coach <laughs> driver tells as he's going across Mull, which was that it's the Macleans that still have it. Uh-huh. And the current owner of the castle, when they, he gave permission for them to film in it, he actually lives in the castle. So he moved out of his room so that Catherine Zeta-Jones could get his best room. And he says that the highlight of his life was when he came along the corridor one morning to find Catherine coming out of the bathroom with just a towel. (laughs) He'll never forget it. (laughs) The things that happened in Scotland. The things that happened on tour, stay on tour, eh? Um, Yes. Da Vinci Code, obviously at Rosalind Chapel, The Railway Man. And of course, that film, film, The Railway Man, was... Uh, recent on television just this past week because of VJ Day, Victory and exactly. Japan Day. Yeah, because that's what it's all about—the Burma mm-hmm. Railway. Yeah, it's an excellent film based yeah. on a true story. Uh, other yeah. films: the the Brangelina uh, that came to Glasgow, World War Z. I was working in Glasgow at the time, and I remember they arrived with their family on their own private train. Yeah. Downton Abbey Christmas Special at Inverary Castle. Yes. You've got Mrs Always Brown about Queen Victoria and John Brown. You've got the Queen. Billy Conley. Yep. Now, how can we forget Rob Roy, Braveheart, or Hamlet? Now, there's two versions of Hamlet as well. Yeah. Uh, you've got, if you're more into your musical-type films, you've got Sunshine on Leith, which is the Proclaimers song, you know, 500 miles and all the rest of it. Yeah, the based on the lyrics of the Proclaimers. I always call it um, Scotland's answer to Mamma Mia. Ah, yes. Yes, Because you is. will sing along yes, to all the songs. It's amazing how many of the songs you do yes. actually know. I'm not going to sing. I was going to, but no, I'm just not going to go there. Uh, the Harry Potter <laughs> films. There's part of the the Dark Knight Rises. You've got Brave, the animated film. You've got Shetland with Dougie Henshaw. Oh, yeah, that's lovely. Yeah, so if anybody hasn't come across it, I would highly recommend the series. Yes. You can get yeah. it on Netflix. Yeah. yeah. Well, obviously with Shetland, they were due to start filming again at the beginning of this year, but Corona uh, put paid to that. So yeah, I think they've postponed to next year. Yeah. So it'll be great because they're always very good, those ones. Yeah. Some people wait for the next um, series of The Crown coming out. And I, I am one of those. I love it. But for me, the highlight is this, there's a new series of Shetland. We've got, if you like your horror, there's one called The Descent. You've got Under the Skin with Scarlett Ooh. Johansson. That iconic film, again, back to Glencoe, Highlander, Glencoe yeah. and Aileen Donnan yeah. and various other places, but with Christopher Lambert, Sean Connery. Well, I was wondering when you were going to mention Sean Connery, because of course Skyfall, by that time you're on to Daniel yes. Craig. But if you say 007, I mean, who is the iconic It's got to be Sean. It's got, got to, to be Sean, yes. Yeah. And has Absolutely. he not got a big birthday round about now? He was 90. Goodness gracious, I can't believe he's yeah. 90. My goodness. He is a little bit craggy. Come on, he's 90 for God's sake. 90, yes. Well, I still think that somewhere in the the lofts and attics of um, art college students who were at art college way back when, when Sean Connery was their life model, that they will have some sketches 
of the naked Sean Connery Absolutely. somewhere. Absolutely. Now, won't that be worth something? And that would be when he was looking fairly good, Liz. <laughs> Aye, as he said himself, <laughs> when he was picked out to go into the chorus line of South Pacific in London, he said himself he couldn't sing, he couldn't dance, but he looked good. <laughs> yes. More, just the last couple of films to, to finish up. Maybe we have a chat about some of the actors as well. Fast and Furious 6. Yeah, I saw oh, that. Oh. I saw that being filmed last yes. year. I don't know if it in was Edinburgh. six, but it was being filmed in Edinburgh. It's causing yeah. it's very contentious, as many things are in Scotland. But they have to close off streets, which isn't always taken well by the the residents of those streets. But that's maybe an Edinburgh thing because yeah. they closed off a lot of streets in Glasgow for filming. You know, Hobbs and yeah. Shaw and all the rest of it, and there was absolutely no problem in Glasgow. Just taking us uh-huh. back to a previous podcast, Glasgow's always yeah. better. but when you stand and watch these films being made my goodness the number of takes Mm. that they have for just one scene you think how on earth do they manage to get through the production of a whole film yeah that's maybe why they're so expensive as well indeed so of course susan there was a time that scotland was a bit um, sniffy about giving off its location for for films wasn't there um and then they realized that well, wait a minute, we have a wonderful resource here that is a good source of revenue. And so this is why I've got so many films now using the wonderful locations around Scotland. I think it's Absolutely. linked into the tourism thing as well. The more people see of Scotland, the I more think, they're wanting to visit. I think for a time, New Zealand and Ireland both stole a march on Scotland. But I think Scotland is, um, with, with the Outlander studio now being in, in Cumbernauld, I think that yeah. it's it's beginning to reassert itself as a major. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, oh, actors and actresses, I'm going to start with the ladies because there's a lot of names here. And I apologise, they're mostly newer names. There's one or two older ones, but it's the ones I was thinking of. You've got Tilda Swinton, Kelly MacDonald, who had a dream about being... Was it Kelly McDonald? Yes, had a dream about being uh, a country um, western star. Shirley Henderson, Blythe Duff from Taggart. There's been a murder. Oh, yeah. Isla Fisher. A murder. Who I always think of as Australian, but actually Scottish parents and moved to Australia when she was six. Claire Grogan from Gregory's Girl. Ashley Jensen, and the one I remember her for is Ugly Betty. To go back a little bit in time, Deborah Kerr from The King and I. You remember with Yul Brynner? Yes, now I didn't know she was Scottish. Oh, there you go. Some more modern ones. Rose Leslie, Game of Thrones. She was brilliant. Was it Ygritte or something her name was in Game of Thrones? Katie Leung from Harry Potter, and she was also in Theatre on Wild Swan. Laura Main, she was in Call the Midwife. I know a lot of people across the world enjoy Call the Midwife. Daniela Nardini from Down Largs Way. This Life was an iconic series through the 90s. This Life, absolutely brilliant about kind of trainee lawyers and stuff. She was also in Sirens. And then Don Steele, Monarch of the Glen. And I know a lot of people will remember Glen Bogle or Ardwariki Castle, yes, the, na- yes. the main place. <laughs> yeah. Now, I can't remember her name, but the, the lady who plays the housekeeper in Downton Abbey, Phyllis Logan. Actors, well, you've got Sean Connery, you've got Ewan McGregor. Hello. Just thinking about it, one of the ones that Americans will probably know very well who started, I was thinking of Don Steele and Monica of the Glen. Prior to that, we also had Take the High Road, which is having oh, a, a resurgence having a, on, a, in a COVID revival. times on television. But another actor to come out of Take the High Road was Alan Cumming, who, of course, oh, Americans yes. will know as Eli in, in um, The Good Wife and also the Master of Ceremonies in Cabaret and also for his one-man shows on Broadway. 
And Alan Cumming has never forgotten his Scottish roots. He came from Aberfeldy and he was kind of figureheaded the restoration of Burke Cinema in Aberfeldy. Yes, and is still involved in in raising money. He still is very much, and he's still. And I like it when they don't forget their Scottish roots. It's lovely. Absolutely. And he has a very interesting biography called Not My Father's Son, um, telling it wasn't a happy childhood. Yeah. And obviously we've got all the the Scottish actors that are in Outlander. I'm just going to list them and I'm sure I'm going to miss some out. But anyhow, you've got Graham McTavish, you've got Richard Rankin, you've got uh, Sam Hewen, obviously. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, There's a whole load of actors, I could name them all. The the ones that surprised me actually was Kevin McKidd in Grey's Anatomy. Oh, the yeah, kind of ginger yes, doctor. Yes. I don't know if you guys watch Grey's yeah. Anatomy. I didn't realise he was no. Scottish, but I thought, oh, that's even better. Do Grey Scott, Robert Carlyle, David Tennant. That's my favourite. David Tennant. I love David Tennant. He should have, I mean, much, much as <laughs> I love them in uh, Shetland, much as I love Dougie Henshaw, it should have been David Tennant that was in that. Because David Tennant, yeah, he was made for the part, but he'd already done Broadchurch, so... Um, he missed out on that one, but I do. I do like Dougie Tenshaw. Controversial again, of course. But um, people in America will know David Tennant through. We know him through Broadchurch yeah. here, but the equivalent yes. in America was Grace Point, and David Tennant still played the same detective yeah, in that, uh, but with an American accent. Absolutely. I'm going to take you, give you a bit of a throwback, ladies, and this is when I remember Gordon Jackson Ooh. in the yeah. Professionals. Yes. It was a TV series. Yeah. Remember that one? But wasn't Gordon Jackson also in Upstairs, Downstairs? You'll not remember that, Susan. Butler, Before my time. Yes. That, that's, that's pre-Downton Abbey. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to throw another couple of older ones in there. David McCallum. Well, David McCallum, oh, yes. yes. Man from Uncle. Yes. Fair-haired yeah. And one. NCIS. Ilya Kuriakin. There's a name from the past. Yeah, it used to be a real pin-up. David McCallum had, had family who lived uh, near me in Stirling. And one of my friends, who was just a little girl at the time, David McCallum, he would babysit for her. Mm-hmm. When his aunt and uncle and her parents were out for dinner, David McCallum babysat for Gillian. Brilliant. You see, Scotland, Scotland's a small country. So many links. Well, ladies, I hate to say it, but we've kind of gone over on our time talking about Scotland on film. So I think a quick moment or two on words of the episode. Helen, what's yours? Well, my word is bahuhi. Bahuhi. B-A-C-H-O-O-C-H-I-E. A bahuhi, which really means a bottom or your backside. And you would say, away your bahuhi. Means you're talking nonsense. Uh, I've got a slightly different um, pronunciation of that one. I was always told it was your bahookie. Yeah, I, I would say it bahookie. But maybe that's a West yeah. of Scotland thing versus a Sterling thing. <laughs> <laughs> I would say bahookie as well. Away your bahookie. Right. My one is a manny or a wifey. And I know when I was at university and I'd, I'd talk to my friends, say, oh, yeah, the wifey over there. You know, go and ask the wifey over there. And one of my friends really got quite annoyed calling somebody a wifey. I mean, do you call him a manny? Well, yes, actually, we do. It's the wee manny over there. It's the wee wifey yeah. over there. It's not meant as a derogatory term, but unfortunately, some people took it that way. Yeah, I think we also use IE at the end of, of all words that we can. It's a kind of phrase for a diminutive version, a smaller version. You know, it's a sort of gentle way of saying it's smaller than, than normal. But you can also use wifey as a, an adjective. If you're looking at something 
clothes or shoes or something. Oh, it's awful wifey. <laughs> or a haircut. Oh, it's a real wifey haircut. <laughs> Old so, wifey. Yeah, yeah. My word, try to get something associated with gin. I mean, in Scotland, we like our alcohol. So words that we would use for inebriated. And there's plenty of them. You can be bevied, you can be steaming, you can be bluttered. Many, many words. Brilliant. Thank you very much for your time. There we have it, our blether for this week. If you'd like to engage with us on social media, everybody out there, um, we're on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook as Scottish Blethers. We'd love to hear what you think of the episode and any topics that you might like us to cover in, the f- in future Blethers. So please do get in touch. So it's cheery bye from me. Ta-ta the new from me. And if I don't see you through the week, I'll see you through the windy from me. Bye. See ya. Bye.